0: Welcome. You've joined the sexy lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the sexy lifestyle. Now here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be.
1: We sure are. And you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure.
0: We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters. And we all deserve it. We
1: sure do. So, have you ever considered having a nip and tuck procedure to enhance your body or restore it to its former shape? Perhaps you're done with your baby-making years and you want your old body back Do your sagging boobs and poachy tummy make you feel less sexy in bed?
0: Well, on today's show, we're gonna be talking about the mummy makeover and other cosmetic procedures designed to restore and enhance the body as an important step in the journey towards self-confidence, psychological well-being, and a better, more empowered sex life.
1: Absolutely, alrighty, but before we get into the show, as we do every week, we wanna tell you about our must-have top waterproof blanket, which now comes in four reversible colors because nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot, and squirt is hot until it's not. So if you're fed up with having to sleep in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets.
0: From messy massage oils, silicone lubes, and all other sexy wetness, you just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and search for Top Waterproof Blanket, that's T-O-P Waterproof Blanket, and order yours today. Great sex starts now.
1: It sure does. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are so excited to welcome today's special guest.
0: Plastic surgeon Dr. Carl Schwartz from Clinic K focuses his practice on surgical interventions of the face and body but also specializes in breast reconstruction following breast cancer surgeries. And we are here in his office, face-to-face, doing a, an in-person interview.
1: So, Dr. Schwartz, Dr. Carl, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thanking, thanks for taking time out of your busy day for being with us today. Thanks for having me.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about how and why you got into the industry of cosmetic surgery?
2: That's a, uh, that's not, you know, most people think, uh, when I get to ask this question, most people think that there was some sort of epiphany or sudden, um, that I saw something and suddenly decided this is, you know, I'm in love with plastic surgery, but for me it was more of a process. Um, I have, uh, my father was a plastic surgeon, um, really well known here in Montreal, so I grew up around plastic surgery, particularly cosmetic surgery, my entire life, Um, but I never really considered it until... I got to university and had to make that decision, like, am I going into the sciences and maybe medicine? Um, And, you know, I I just decided at that time I I would lean towards medicine. So do all these sciences, um, at least to be able to go to medical school if I wanted to, and ended up doing so. Um, I went to medical school, and when I was in medical school, it was pretty clear to me that I wanted to pursue surgery, but not necessarily plastic surgery. In fact, I thought I was going to do orthopedics. For a couple of years, um, but the more I was exposed to plastic surgery and the more I saw, you know h- how much there is within the the realm of plastic surgery, the more I grew to love it. So it was it was sort of a slow process. And cosmetic surgery is something that that I was lucky enough to be in in a training program that uh, was really strong and had a lot of exposure to cosmetic surgery. So um, I knew it was something that I really enjoyed doing at that time. And then when I started practice here in Montreal. Um, even though I was doing a lot of teaching at McGill, I, I opened up a private practice, and which sort of steadily grew um, to the point where I had to make that, I had to make that decision: Am I going to stay at McGill and teach, or am I going to go in private practice and do focus on cosmetic surgery? And which, how much which I do
1: an, now. how much of an add-on to the regular med um, degree okay. is plastic surgery?
2: It's six years, an extra six so, years. So it's a residency of six years, uh, and then many people it's, will go and do an additional year or two fellowship. Yeah, in like a subspecialization within plastic surgery.
0: So let's clarify the difference between plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery.
2: So plastic surgery is like a a, a, a broader term, right? Plastic surgery um, encompasses everything within plastic surgery including cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery is really just um, procedures that are aesthetic in nature, you know.
0: And plastic surgery can be Plastic
2: surgery can, it includes cosmetic surgery, but it can be pediatric craniofacial surgery, so treating kids with birth deformities. Mm-hmm usually in the face, can be hand surgery, can be burn surgery. Burn surgeons often are plastic surgeons. Can be breast reconstruction. So there's there's a trauma, facial trauma as well so there's a lot of uh a lot in plastic surgery that people when you hear the term plastic surgery don't even think about because right. you automatically think cosmetic surgery right right exactly yeah.
0: and cosmetic is always elected well usually anyways elective surgery correct it okay. is okay. yeah, yeah.
2: And, and
1: hannah you're going to be talking firsthand about some of these procedures some of today these procedures. <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> yes your dad was one of my favorite doctors <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> i have a chair there with my name on it <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh so Listen, we hang out at nude beaches all the time. We're swingers. We go to a lot of different places, and we see a lot of cosmetic surgery on the beach when we're there. Um, So it's just one of those things that we see, whether it's boob jobs or tummy tucks or facelifts. You know, there are some small scars that you can see when you have your clothes off, but some are done better than others, and we can actually see the differences when we're looking at different bodies. There's no judgment there. But what makes a good plastic surgeon?
2: Oh, attention to detail is probably the the uh, the biggest thing. You know, almost an obsessive attention to detail, and uh, and and really focusing on uh, hyper focusing and trying to get the best result possible. Um, I, you know, there's it's a process, right? I mean, you have to first learn um, these techniques and then practice them over and over and over and over. So experience plays into it. Um, so there's a technical aspect you know you really have to be f- hyper focused on the aesthetic result um, and I think that's typical to most plastic surgeons but um, also the human side mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. it's not simply enough to uh, to be a good technician you have to you know make sure that you're listening to the patients um, you know get, try and get in their head and see what, the, what what they're looking for and it can be difficult because it, you know patients don't always can always vocalize exactly what they want mm-hmm. so it's kind of pulling that out of the patient in the consultation um, and then making sure that you know, you're treating them with respect and dignity and, and establish a relationship where they can trust you. And I think those things all combined make somebody a good plastic surgeon.
1: Later on in the show, we're gonna really get into you know um, different types of, of, of breast um, enhancements that can be done or reductions. But you know when Carol goes on the beach naked, nobody can believe that she's had implants in her breasts and there's other women on the beach who you look at them from 50 feet away and you can see the scars and everything is I know you're talking about attention to detail but isn't there a basic standard that the doctors have to follow so it doesn't look like it's you know
0: been touched
2: been done at the
1: local garage for your car
2: (laughs) yeah you know I try not to judge uh, results that you know maybe you're not great because I wasn't there, right. uh, and I don't know what they looked like before, mm-hmm. but ultimately there's, there's, you know, there's a huge difference in the quality of plastic surgeons. I mean, you, you know, like any other profession, uh, let's say lawyers there are great lawyers and there are lawyers that are not so great, um, and the same thing goes in plastic surgery. So. Um, we're lucky to live in North America, at least, where the, there are certain basic standards, um, unlike if you, let's say, go to South America or other mm-hmm. countries where, where the standards are a little bit more loosey-goosey. Mm-hmm. But but there is, you know, there's a big difference in ability in some plastic surgeons and and um,
0: but these techniques are kind of standard techniques, right? Whether the different procedures that are done, these are almost, I don't know if it's worldwide, but certainly North America, that all the doctors are kind of following the same procedures. In general, yes. yes. But, yeah.
2: you know, it's details like if you're doing a breast lift with an implant. Where do you put the nipple? Mm -hmm. Exactly, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, lifting it from down here Mm -hmm. to up here, but exactly where do you put it so it's in the right spot? Uh, Where do you place the incisions? Yeah, where do you put the incisions to hide them best? Yeah, Um, and it's not always totally clear. Mm -hmm. That's where kind of experience comes in, Mm -hmm. and you're looking at their skin and their tissues and how they're going to heal, and you know, where's the implant going to end up? Mm -hmm. Like all these factors that you know are are more difficult than people think.
0: And what about scar tissue? Some people do uh, have more scarring than others. How is that? Is that from the doctor? Is that from their own genetics? It can be one or the
2: other. Um, I think, you know, there's definitely a variability into how people heal. You know, some people heal with really amazing scars. Others will make scars that are thicker, darker, more pink, um, and just more apparent in that you can't control, Mm -hmm. but the things you can control are doing things in a way to give the patient the best chance possible to heal.
0: Right. Wow, that's great. Well,
2: you and
1: your dad have done a great job on Carol. (laughs) I'm sure all our listeners who've seen us um, naked on the beach can attest to that fact that Carol's absolutely gorgeous, whether she's wearing a sexy bikini or naked on the beach. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But um, we've been seeing lately that more and more men are having procedures done. What's the percentage of men versus women in your practice?
2: Nowadays, it's like about 15% Mm -hmm. men. More so than a de- decade ago, for sure. It Used to be about five percent. Uh, more and more men are coming in, and the mo- and really the reasons are, still top two still liposuction. Okay. You know that that kind of spare Tommy, tire yeah. around abdomen, uh, love handles, mm-hmm. and eyelids. Oh, eyelids yeah. are another very popular yeah. one for men.
0: Are you yeah. seeing facelifts in men these days? Or yes. Not even yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. More popular as it's well. It's harder to hide the scars and facelifts because. Well, it depends if they have hair. If they lose their hair like David, then it's harder. to I didn't to lose my s- hair. I chose <laughs> oh, okay. to shave yeah. my head. <laughs> yeah, so, well,
2: you're, you're right. I mean, you have to have hair, yeah, right? Okay. It's, it's right, to hide the scars. But in some ways, it's easier to hide the scars in men because they have beards. Oh, okay. Um, but ultimately, both, both men and women, you can hide the scars quite well. Uh-huh. You know, it's in the kind of little fine lines around the ears. Um, and they're tough to see whether it's a man or a woman. Yeah. So Carol, you, you,
1: um, encouraged me to go see Dr. Carl and have my eyelids done. Right. Why was that?
0: Well, cause your eyelid was hanging over your eye and was pushing your lashes down. Mm-hmm. So it's like called hooded, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
1: and was it making me look old? Mm-hmm. Like you didn't want to have sex with I'm me anymore? Tired.
0: No, I always want to have sex with you. Oh, okay. No, old and tired. Oh, and do yeah. I look better now? Much better. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you still want me to lose that little belly here.
0: Mm. Yeah but you don't need liposuction you just have to stop eating cookies (laughs) we know the problem (laughs) step one knowing the problem (laughs) yeah
1: so so definitely still a larger percentage women but men are definitely getting into it
2: yes and they're doing the non-invasive stuff too you know they're getting fillers and botox Mm -hmm. things that just kind of make you look refreshed Mm -hmm. well you know we, we were
1: saying the other day that people are living longer And the body, you know, 25, 50 years ago, people were dying at 65 and 70, and now we're living till 80 and 85. We see swingers in their mid-70s and into their 80s now, and everybody wants to look good on the beach. And this, this industry of healthy aging is just Blossoming out there, we have a friend um, in Houston, and her business is massive. And she's um, into functional medicine and all the different parts of what uh, we need to reintroduce into our
2: bodies as we get older. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a not a new industry, but one that's exploding. This anti-aging concept, mm-hmm. uh, and it has to do with nutrition and hormone levels, and um, you know, dietary lifestyle. Uh, stopping smoking. I mean, there's a lot of lifestyle stuff that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of science. And then of course the cosmetic surgery and medical aesthetic
0: stuff. Well, because we can't stop gravity from pulling our skin down and our elasticity still does. Even if we're doing healthy aging, our elasticity is still going to get lost. And as we age anyways, there's not much we can really do about that.
2: Yeah. Well, you can do, you can change your lifestyle, you know, and over decades it can make somewhat of a difference. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't smoke right. for sure, the quality yes. of your skin is going to hold up way better. Yeah. Um, if you eat well and you're, you're not obese you know um, all these things are, can put put things in your favor to age kind of more gracefully but at a certain point you're right everybody's skin loses elasticity yeah. and you know if you want to see improvements there you either go under the knife or you do these non-invasive. Procedures. Yeah, and, and and
1: we've been doing shows with uh, Dr. Laundry and Dr. Steinberg about um, maintaining proper hormone levels because as we age, our hormones get depleted, and it's incredible uh, what we've learned over the the shows that we've done with them is that you know having properly balanced hormones are important for osteoporosis and lots of health benefits. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, if you can. So, what would say? Would you say would be the number one type of procedure that you do in your clinic?
2: Well, there's a tie for for first there. So, I do a a lot of noses and I do a lot of breasts. Um, The noses, uh, you know, the two types of rhinoplasties. Yeah, male and female. Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of different type of rhinoplasties or nose jobs. But uh, when it comes to breasts, there are a bunch of different procedures. And you can do a breast reduction Mm -hmm. with a lift. It always includes a lift. Um, you can do a lift by its by itself. you can do an implant by itself or breast augmentation. you can do breast augmentation with a lift um, so there are a lot of different options when it when it comes to breasts, but but breast procedures and noses are tied for number one in my practice. yeah yeah, great and what what, what have you had hon? <laughs> have you yeah, had your breast? Mm-hmm. What
0: about your nose?
1: Mm-hmm. yeah okay I'm <laughs> going we'll talk about a couple of others later <laughs>
0: um, So what would you say would be like the most sought after procedure? I know you do a lot here, but is that, would it be nose or breast, or is there others that are sought after?
2: In in North America, number one is breast. It used to be liposuction, but over the last few years, breast became number one and and is still the most popular one in North America.
0: And I would say probably from what we've seen on the beach that probably every second woman has had a boob job on the beach well there are
2: many yeah, yeah. it's a very popular yeah. procedure Correct. but but other other more popular ones other than nose are tummy tucks you know liposuction any sort of body contouring mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Uh, facial surgery and do those eyelids. non-invasive
0: c- body contouring uh products work
2: oh well so that's a good question i my belief is that uh, most of them don't work really well at all, mm. right? So, um, I- you know, any, any technology that really claims to tighten skin um, can do so in a certain patient population, right? And, and, and typically, all these technologies have one thing in common they, they stimulate collagen typically by heat, right? Whether it's a laser, whether it's like uh, radio frequency microneedling, all these techniques, y- you're heating the deeper part of the skin but you're relying on the body to respond to that heat by creating collagen and elastic tissue. Right, right? that's how
0: they advertise it. Precisely, but
2: if you have loose sagging skin, it's because you lack the ability to create, Um, create, to, to make that. Yeah. So people who really have a lot of sagging skin, who have thin, inelastic skin, they don't respond nearly as well. So those who really need it don't really respond mm-hmm. well to these non-invasives. Mm-hmm. It's the younger people who you might have a little bit of sagging mm-hmm. who respond best. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely no magic uh, bullet right. when it comes to skin tightening non-invasively. Mm-hmm. And that's why these body contouring surgical procedures where you are actually like removing the skin oh. or work way, way better in most yeah. most patients. Yeah, Interesting.
1: Yeah. I'm, I wanna go back to boobs for a second because I love boobs. Um, in the past, I guess, five or 10 years, Um, women have had the opportunity to get into the field of sex work single moms by doing camming and only fans and that type of industry where they're able to stay in a safe secure location make some extra money are you finding that the demographics uh, age wise is a little bit younger now with those more with those women coming in who want their breast enhancements because they're doing this type of work
2: I would say the whole the whole younger population is much more open to cosmetic surgery um including breath simply because of Instagram and other social media you know it, it's they know a lot more about it um they tend to aspire more to look like so certain so. people influencers yeah. um and in some ways they all kind of oftentimes want the same type of look right. which to me is not it's not the best yeah. um but, but there's a, there are a lot more young patients. Does it have to do with OnlyFans? Um, not as much as you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, There's only so many people on OnlyFans, but, right. but definitely more than in the past. Mm-hmm. Definitely more than in mm-hmm. the past.
0: And so you're seeing a younger demographic as well. That's yes, going into yeah, and searching.
2: that's been yeah, in the last 10 years. That's trending it, a lot. Yep. Wow. It's not just, um, you know, typically it was more nose drops. Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. somebody finishes puberty, they're you know, teenagers, they enter late teens, and they want to change their nose. Um, but breast augmentation has become more popular in early adulthood now, uh, and and so has Botox and fillers. Right, you know all these things that you never would have thought um, young patients would have at a at a young age. At a young age, yeah. but but I'm also very careful, mm-hmm. n- you know, not to do it just to do it because right. the patient wants it. You know, younger right. patients have to be handled differently. And
0: um, I remember when I was younger, I think I started doing fillers and Botox around the age of 30, 35 perhaps, no. and I didn't want to start with Botox. Because it's almost addictive. Like, you, then you, yeah. you get that feeling, you have zero wrinkles. So actually, I started just with fillers and just filled the wrinkles that I did have. Yeah. Uh, and it helped a lot it was because I didn't want to get addicted to it. Of course, yeah. now at my age, I, yeah. I'm a regular. <laughs> but
2: prevent, you know, there's a concept of prevention. Mm-hmm. Prevention is great, but you don't need prevention when you're 18 years old. Right, yeah. Right? You don't have a line on your face. Or if yeah. you do, it's just an ex- it's a regular, normal expression yeah. line. Um, I believe in prevention. Once you start getting those wrinkles that won't go away, mm-hmm. and then you soften them, and then you prevent the end coming back. What from do you call back. those?
0: Those lines, those straight lines. Uh, the frown lines. Frown lines. Yeah. yeah. See, so I always. don't have
2: any because I'm always smiling. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah.
0: sure. Lucky you. <laughs> you <laughs> got the smile <laughs> lines like crazy, but that's all good. <laughs> we love those what, smile what, lines. Was
1: that like a, an insult? No, are you saying not at all. I'm not pretty?
0: No, 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 no. 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 You're I'm beautiful, honey. Just the way you are. So, what would be your favorite procedure and why? So,
2: I mean, my my two favorite ones are breast and, and nose, but I, if I had to pick one, I'd say noses probably mm-hmm. because uh, there is something that makes them more challenging than I think any other cosmetic surgery out there. I would say. There is very little room for error. Right. Um, and uh, it's just such a delicate procedure with like a complex anatomy um, that it's, you know, it's it's a thinking person's operation. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of little decisions that need to be made to get that result that the patient wants, so yeah. I, I enjoy it.
0: Wow, very cool. I
1: guess a nose is also more functional than a breast.
0: Yeah, but it's also you Ugh, know so depends, plain as depends. the nose on your face. Right? Okay, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, right, I mean there's yeah. a breathing aspect as
2: well, yeah. Yeah. so there are a lot of different things you have to consider mm. when, when doing a rhinoplasty.
0: Right, yep. exactly.
1: All right, how about if we take a break? Sure. And then we'll get back and we're gonna talk about all the different procedures you've had. I mean, Dr. Carl does. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So just a reminder that this that is was a sexy a good joke. lifestyle. It was a good that joke. A good joke. Here. We'll talk about it later. He loves laughing at me, so it's all good. Uh, we are Carol and David. As you all know, we're having an amazing discussion with Dr. Carl Schwartz about cosmetic surgery and enhancing, which can also enhance confidence. We're going to get into more in, into that in the second segment. But coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. Now let's tell everybody about topless travel and the amazing trip we have planned for next year.
1: Absolutely. And you know that topless travel is this provides the sexiest and most erotic vacation experiences ever and if you want to join us then you definitely must book with topless travel from hedonism 2 in jamaica desire in cancun and all the bliss cruise adventures topless travel needs to be your number one choice
0: And of course their trips are all about pushing boundaries, exploring your naughty side and meeting and partying with tons of sexy fun people. Let's shout out to all their exclusive sexy host couples including Party Mark. They're there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation.
1: Absolutely and you'll find us on most of the amazing topless travel trips but listen up we're going to be back at Hedonism 2 for their topless hedonistic Halloween event from October 21st to 28th, 2023. It's a pre-Halloween week-long bash and we'd love for you to join us there and new for 2024 topless travel is putting together not one but two bucket list trips from which we're going to be broadcasting the first one we're going to be exploring the ancient pyramids of egypt followed by a seven-day boat cruise down the nile to jordan from march 2nd to 13th 2024
0: And on the second bucket list trip, we'll be heading to Kenya for an African safari to witness the Great Migration. Glamping in the wild savanna from September 2 to 11, 2024, space is very limited on both of these trips and there's only a few spots left.
1: So if you don't want to miss these amazing adventures with other sexy, open-minded friends, then go and book your spot today. Do it before it's too late.
0: So for more information about these trips or any of the topless travel events, simply go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever.
1: All right. Enough with ads. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. Let's get back to our show. and It's now time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because...
0: Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So let's talk about how cosmetic surgery can bring out more confidence and help people enjoy their sex lives a little bit more. You have a combination of procedures called the mommy makeover. Tell us a little bit about what is this mommy makeover and why mommies want to look sexy again.
2: So the, mom- the mommy makeover traditionally was a tummy tuck. So an operation to tighten the skin of the abdomen with a breast augmentation you know, with or without a lift. That was the more traditional one. Mommy mommy makeovers now, I think, you know, are a bit of a, it's a bit of a broader term now that includes still the tummy tuck, but any breast surgery and can often include other body contouring procedures. But in terms of breasts, like I said before, um, you know, breast surgery can include a breast reduction with a lift, can, can, can be just a lift on its own, can be just an augmentation or an augmentation with a lift. Um, but it's a combination of the tummy tuck with the breast surgery that makes it a, um, a mommy makeover. And, and, and why do women want uh, mommy makeovers? Well, you, usually it's just to get their pre-baby bodies back. Mm. You know, I think, as you, I'm sure, agree that uh, an important part of sexuality and feeling sexy is having confidence in your body. And going through a couple pregnancies and, and looking in the mirror and, and, and not seeing what you used to see before, and and not over the course of decades, but over the course of a couple of years, yeah. can be difficult. Um, yeah. And sometimes just restoring their old body can can make them feel super confident, and um, and make them feel much more sexy. And and sensual. what
1: what is the right time frame to be doing a procedure like this? I, I'm assuming you've decided to have. Your last child, and you're like done having babies, right? Right. That's number one. And how how soon after that last child would you suggest someone come in and do it? So typically,
2: what I say is is you can be you know you're ready for surgery about six months after you're done breastfeeding. Oh, right. Because the breasts and the whole body will undergo certain certain changes over the course of a few months after having stopped breastfeeding. Um, so you want things to basically be stable and to settle into place before you start having any surgery. And
1: do you suggest that the person get into a better eating habits and be exercising and and try and get that, that fat or those things that have been added to the body over the pregnancies through the natural process of eating well and
2: exercising? Right, that's always the first choice. So a patient always has to make their best effort exercise, eating well to, to get their, their bodies back to, to state that's as good as possible, you know, without surgery. Um, but I recognize that certain changes like stretched sagging right. skin, yeah. um, or just doesn't matter what you eat and how much you exercise sagging skin is just never going to go and away.
0: Even stretch marks don't go away. So sometimes those marks that are there that are pulled your right skin out, they can they improve still there. Yeah, exactly. but they're still there. So, you, so yeah. those have to be removed surgically yeah.
2: often. Um, so patients do what they can. If a patient's overweight, that's different. Mm-hmm. So if they're really significantly overweight I'll really push them down to get to kind of a healthier weight um, for a couple of reasons. One is the operation is safer. So the risks of anesthesia are lower if you're not obese. But also the cosmetic result is so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's less fat, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, and less skin to remove, you can get, thi- you could kind of nip and tuck things and get a nicer contour and a better cosmetic result when a patient's at at a, at a more healthy weight.
0: And do you do these two procedures at the same time? You
2: can, yes. And do do patients usually do that? Usually, yes. So the downtime
0: is less because you're doing it together.
2: Right. It's one recovery instead of two. It can be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. uh, But typically, you know, with a mommy makeover, the toughest part is a tummy tuck. Mm -hmm. And I I definitely don't gloss over the fact that it can be a difficult recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, It's compared to patients who've had both, we'll say it's like a Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a tough week, you know, that first week can be tough. You really need help at home. You're not doing anything for the kids for a couple of weeks. Right. You have to be ready to recover. Um, and the breast recovery is almost secondary, you know, it's, it's, it's you're more focused on the tummy tuck. Recovery. How was
1: your recovery with your tummy tuck?
0: I had them done separately, just so you know, so yeah. I did have two recoveries. Uh, the tummy tuck I found very hard, but I also had a hard time with the breast as well. Like I couldn't move my arms at first the pain was there definitely the side of in the side of the breast Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know that's probably because where the insert of the implant is is that on the side under the muscle? depends.
2: Under the muscle, but ty- typically we insert from underneath now. Oh, underneath now. Okay.
0: Yep. Anyways, I did find it hard, but the, the tummy tuck is wicked. <laughs> Pretty wicked.
2: Yeah, because you tighten the muscles. Yeah, It's really... The
0: muscles are all sewn together, right? They're yeah, because attached.
2: women who, who've had kids often have what's called a diastasis, which is when those six-pack muscles, the rectus muscles, stretch and come apart. Right. Um, and that's what gives that kind of roundness to the abdomen. So yeah. you have to basically suture them together. There's these stitches deep into that's the muscles. still to
0: there today, right? Right.
2: Well, some of them are absorbable, okay, um, some. but some of them are permanent. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's part of the operation and that's what really uh, can be uncomfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I feel like you've done a thousand sit-ups for about yeah. six weeks, it doesn't go away very quickly.
1: No. But, but getting yeah. back for, that, for the post-pregnancy um, changes, one of our good friends, she had, um, before she had a baby, bees, had huge breasts during her pregnancy and they stayed, and they're spectacular now. After her pregnancy, they're the most beautifully huge natural breasts that we've seen in a long time. How does
2: that happen? Are you sure she hasn't had anything done? Nothing. That's really rare. It's really yeah. rare. So what, what typically happens is your breasts get really big while you're breastfeeding, mm-hmm. and then you're done, and the hormones, like you know, are gone all of a sudden. Um, and everything deflates. You know, you lose all of that that kind of breast gland um, that was pr- producing the milk. It atrophies. It shrinks to, right. to, to a smaller, often than it was before and the she's pregnancy. Only had one pregnancy kid, yeah, so. yeah and the skin is stretched out yeah. so what happens in most people they feel empty and saggy mm-hmm. um it's really really rare what you're describing they are spectacular yeah, yeah. well she's lucky is,
0: yeah she is lucky she must have very good skin that mm-hmm. went back yeah into shape so at the time when i had my breast lift i went in for a lift not even an augmentation um But Dr. Gaston, he convinced me to put a small implant just to Mm -hmm. keep the roundness. Now that my gravity is 12 years later, gravity is still pulling down a little bit. I'm glad I have that roundness. It doesn't feel empty on the top. Yeah. Yeah,
2: the only way to actually get that fullness in the upper part of the breast is with yeah. an implant these right. days. Right. Um, a lift alone will not do that. It'll, it'll lift the bottom part of the breast and so you can put the nipple higher and make it smaller and get an overall perkier, perkier look. Yeah. But to really fill the upper portion of the breast that oftentimes is empty, y- the only way is with an implant.
0: So I learned a lesson, that let's definitely follow the doctor's advice, because really you know best. So I was yeah. going to ask you, who decides on the size of the implant? Is it the patient, or is it with your guidance? Uh, it's For sure it's with my guidance, yeah. um, and my nurse as well. So yeah. my nurse does
2: a lot of the sizing with the patients, but even before I see them, so the patients have a general idea of the look they want. Um, and the way they do that is with a special bra, and, and these sizers, which are these kind of teardrop shaped um, uh, implants that we use to kind of tuck into the bra and then they look in the mirror and it's meant to simulate what the implants can look like so they do that before they see me and then um, if a patient's a good candidate i have what's called the vectra it's a 3d camera system where we take a 3d picture um, and you can click and choose different implants and patients can see what approximately what it'll look like on on their body so using those two techniques and then just making sure that the patient's not overdoing it and that there's a sense of proportion and balance um, and a safety, um, I'll kind of give them a range of what I find is safe and appropriate. Mm-hmm. And yeah. do you ever say, no, those are too big. You, I, I don't feel
1: comfortable doing that. Yeah, all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Really? All the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you complications are significantly higher the bigger your implants I'm are. Sure. So really, really big implants have high complication rates. And not just in the short term, you might look good when you're 25 and you have huge implants, but what happens when you're 40 yeah. and you have those implants in yeah. there still, y- you can destroy your breast. So I think not just in the short term, but also long term. We have a friend, we've known her for
1: 15 years. Uh, she's now probably 75.
0: 70 probably, yeah.
1: And over the years, every four or five years, she's gone back and had her breast augmented bigger. From yeah. 400 cc's to 500 to 600 to 700. Except they, the last, time They are Dolly parton size yeah. breasts. Yeah.
0: The last time we saw her, she was explaining how she has a lot of scar tissue. Right. And you can see it's dimpled and mm-hmm. not, not pretty. They're big, they're full, but not pretty anymore because she's got some of those complications, I think, right?
2: Right. I mean, somebody at some point should have told her no. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm a problem
0: yeah so it does happen that over over time yeah it does complications happen yeah and
2: even in the best of hands with with implants that are not big you know
0: and another friend of ours when we went to visit her she had just gone that day to have one of her implants uh changed out maybe she had both implants changed out but the doctor said well thank goodness we did it because it was as she pulled it out and she could see that it had I don't know, ruptured. Not, maybe ruptured or scarred around it or she said it was a good idea that we went back in and, and changed it out.
2: Yeah, sounds like a rupture. I mean, okay. rupture if you have if you have the current silicone implants like the more modern silicone implants if it, if they rupture, they don't leak like the old ones used to. Okay. They kind of hold their shape. It's more like you get a crack on the surface of it so you can actually it's not an urgent situation to switch because it's not going to start leaking. These are what we call the gummy bear implants, right? Because they're cohesive. Yeah. Um, And sometimes when you go into, um, for any reason, let's say to to go in to do a touch up or to change implants, you'll notice that an implant was was actually ruptured. Right. And the patient. So maybe that's what she she mentioning. That's what she was
0: saying. And uh, that was at the point when I realized that I didn't know that you actually have to check on them and maybe replace them if in time. And that's when you gave me the prescription of an MRI so I can check right. the status of mine. They're 12 years old now. I right. feel good. I have no pain or anything, and I have no dimpling or scar tissue that I know of, but I'm going to do the MRI and make sure that everything's okay. Yeah, that's
2: a safe way. So every three to five years, we'll send our patients for an MRI just to make sure that the implants are intact. And yeah. that's really the only way you'll know oftentimes is, mm. is to do the MRI, and then you know when it's time to change them.
0: And so that's Im- it's imperative to change them. I know it's not an emergency, but you definitely should change them if you see something it, on the it's MRI. It's a good idea, yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. it is.
2: And in the old days, it was, you know, they used to put the implants in and say, okay, and have a nice life. Right. But that was a bit of a mistake. That, you know, they, they didn't know huh. um, that patients patients had to be followed up because... You know, ruptured, ruptured implants, if they're left in place years and years and years can create problems. Oh, so.
0: Okay. Very interesting. But is the silicone itself uh, dangerous or what's the kind of problems that it creates?
2: No. Silicones are in a very, very inert substance, oh, right? Okay. So it's not dangerous in and of itself, but if you leave a, an implant that's ruptured for years and years and years, the silicone can start leaking out and sticking into the tissues around the breast. Oh, okay. And, and then, then the it can be difficult not to take <laughs> healthy. out.
0: Okay. Oh, I Yeah.
2: See. So it doesn't cause any overall diseases, uh-huh. um, but, but it can just cause problems if it starts sticking to the tissues it can be difficult to dig out mm-hmm. when you go to take the
1: implant out mm-hmm. so it's and I, guess, best. I guess one thing we should also mention is that some women after they have babies are beautiful just the way they are y- yes you know, of course like you right? we were
0: saying with our friend yeah and and not everybody has to feel sexy by having surgery and some people are terrified of a doctor or a needle anyways mm-hmm. and would never even consider it so yeah it's a or, good thing to or
1: get pushed into it because like dr carl was saying the social media um, pressures that what you see on tv what you see on the news it's okay to just be happy with yourself
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. This is just an option for those that want to feel a little bit sexier.
1: Now, now, there's also breast reductions, right? Right. When do those happen, and, and why are they? Why do women come in for those?
0: So, breast reductions,
2: I'll, I'll typically see kind of two populations: the young women who, um, who just you know have puberty and and their breasts got really really big, and they um, they feel that esthetically they say they're sagging or too low, and they have discomfort, neck pain, back pain. Um, grooving of their bra straps are all kind of very common complaints when when somebody is very large breasted, but um, but that's one patient population, right? The the young woman, and then there's a postmenopausal population that in some patients their breasts get bigger,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and so
0: because they're storing fat in different places, is that why? Correct. Yeah.
2: Correct. Yeah. And so. Um, those patients have the same issues mm. aesthetically. They feel the breasts are sagging. They don't. They don't look and the way they used. If you're a stomach to.
0: sleeper, that's not a good thing, right? <laughs> no, that.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if that has so much of an impact, oh. but uh, but they have the same issues with neck pain and back pain and discomfort, mm-hmm. and it's hard to find stuff to wear um, that fits well when you're really large breasted. If the rest of you is thin, particularly, yeah, yeah. you know,
0: so what about heavy set women who are large breasted? Do you uh, encourage them to lose weight first? Yes, yes, okay. I,
2: I do so for those reasons that I said before, the, the operation's safer. and then um, you you don't get into the problem of, they have their breast reduction they're really happy and and then they all of a sudden lose weight right. and their breasts get smaller right. mm. so it's better it's more predictable if the patient loses the weight before one of the
0: things that you said earlier is that in North America we have certain standards and basically everyone's following those procedures oh, but yeah. when we were in Mexico Cancun, years yeah. ago some of the young girls who were working at the resort like the animators who were helping me have fun well they were they went together into Cancun and a doctor injected silicone into their breasts right they strapped their breasts for 7 days and and then there, they have a boob job yeah. for a thousand dollars instead of whatever twelve thousand yeah. dollars. And we so, so how does that's we very dangerous. So it's very dangerous. It's
2: been that started like in the seventies, right? When people didn't know how bad it was, but now we know that it's I- injecting silicone and not putting in silicone breast implants because those are contained, right? Yeah. And it's a, and it's a medical grade silicone, but um, oftentimes what's being injected is this industrial grade silicone. Um, and just silicone as a as the gel as a liquid form should never be injected anywhere in the body. It's been known to cause major complications, horrible scarring, these were um, young or girls. even create wounds where mm. the, the silicone starts seeping out yes. through these big open wounds that that can be just can really deform and cause horrible scar tissue and, and permanent disability. So. That is probably the worst thing you can do. Wow, I know. We saw that. Yeah. We just shook our head and it was done
0: already. Like, oh,
2: no. then probably, they probably did it in a hotel room somewhere. Probably. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Now, now,
1: we're talking about the implants, how um, they can last for 10 or 12 years or, or longer. even longer. Yeah, longer. But, you know, some people are into rough sex. Can they be damaged by someone squeezing too hard or falling on them
2: or sitting on them? It can be, but it has to be pretty hard really? like it uh, would be major trauma to the the breast itself oh, yeah, in order before, to yeah. because if you grab a breast implant and really squeeze it as hard as you can with your hand I do that every it's time, it's time I come to the to office <laughs> <laughs> so it's impossible <laughs> to break um, so it really has to be something very very hard not your traditional rough sex type of situation Understand. we don't have rough sex so we don't have to worry
0: no. about that but one of the major topics that we talk about a lot when you're having a lot of sex is losing nipple sensitivity after an operation Right. after you've moved the nipple. Maybe describe what the operation actually is for a lift and implant and then talk about how that nipple can be affected.
2: So what, what just a breast augmentation can lead to uh, decreased nipple sensitivity. Oh, really? Um, it's because the nerves that supply, um, that supply the nipple come from deep. Okay. They don't come from the sides, from the side mm-hmm. of the skin. They come from the inside to the surface of the nipple. So when you're creating that pocket to put an implant in, oftentimes those microscopic nerves are disrupted. There's nothing you can really do about it and so there's a two percent chance when you have a breast augmentation that you'll lose some nipple sensitivity.
0: Okay, um,
2: if you have a breast reduction, it's even higher because you're removing tissue, uh, right? Yeah. So the, the, if you have a breast reduction, the chance of losing some nipple sensitivity is between five and ten or fifteen percent. So it's higher
0: and then with the lift and you're moving the actual nipple
2: with a lift alone it's quite rare right and the reason being is those nerves come from deep within when you do just a lift it's really an operation of the superficial skin you're not going deep so those nerves are rarely disrupted um but when you do a lift with an implant it's the, it's the placement of the implant that oh can affect okay. nipple sensitivity talk more than the lift. about
0: the implant being behind the muscle and in front of the muscle.
2: It's a choice. Okay. So it really depends on the patient's anatomy. Um, most patients will put the implant behind the muscle because um, the, implant the, 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 the muscle helps to camouflage the implant and to make it look and feel more natural. Right. Um, but usually that's patients that are thin and don't have a lot of breast tissue. So okay. you need that muscle to create that camouflage. Um, But patients who, let's say, are a bit heavier or or larger breasted, where their breast is, is big enough and there's enough tissue to cover and camouflage the implant nicely, you can put the implant on top of the muscle.
0: And what's the benefit? Why not just do them all under the muscle? Oh,
2: because you, you have a little bit less discomfort and okay. pain postoperatively mm-hmm. if you're not under the muscle. Mm-hmm. And then there's something called uh, an animation deformity. In patients where the implant's under the muscle, some people, when they flex, it kind of moves the implant while they're flexing. Oh. goes back to normal okay. when they're not moving anymore. Oh. But that can happen when it's under the muscle. So you don't get that when the implant's on top of the muscle. Okay. Um, and again, less discomfort. So, but but it's uh, it really is up to the patient. I try and guide them in the direction that and I you feel do is both safest. Obviously. I do both. Yeah. So, okay. so we've we've
1: played with lots of different couples who've had um, boob jobs or not boob jobs, and I've noticed sometimes when we play with a couple that I can actually feel the implant inside the breast. Is that normal? Yes.
0: Because it's on the outside, it's not behind the muscle.
2: With you, I don't feel anything.
0: Mine's Behind the muscle.
2: Well, but that that might not have to do with the fact that it's in front or behind the muscle. Oh, because mine's um, small.
0: And I have more breast tissue covered? Precisely. So okay. if
2: somebody has really, really small breasts and bigger implants, right. you're going to feel you're going to feel them. If somebody has larger breasts and smaller implants, mm. it's going to feel more natural. It's going to be hard to feel that implant. Okay. So it just depends on the size of the implant and then the patient's anatomy. Oh, okay. Interesting. Hmm. Not that I'm complaining because <laughs> I love boobs, but or, I, I was or, just curious. Right? If you feel like um, an implant that's hard, right, then it's probably a complication called capsular contracture. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, that's what we refer to when people say your, your body's kind of rejecting the implant. Oh it's when your body creates too much scar tissue mm-hmm. in response to the implant, and it feels hard. And unfortunately, you have to reoperate to remove that scar tissue and mm-hmm. change the implant, but um, that's a complication that can happen in patients with and breast And how do you
0: see, what does scar tissue look like inside?
2: It just looks like um, like a pale or white thin layer um, around the implant. Um, so you kind of scrape that
0: off and take the whole implant out. Exactly, wow. exactly. Mm-hmm. And
2: then and then you put a new implant in, but it can come back.
0: Mm. Oh, right, because that's what your body's doing. It's rejecting.
2: If your body, if it's happened once, then the chance that it comes back is higher.
0: Okay, makes sense.
1: All right, let's move away from boobs and talk
2: about the um,
1: vagina and labiaplasty.
0: Labiaplasty, that's something different. Who would do such a thing? Who would (laughs) do such a thing? Well, I do admit do you
1: have many women come in asking for their pussy lips to be snipped off
2: not not in those words but <laughs> yes <yeah. laughs> um, it's it's become much more common in the last five years mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's typically women who uh, not always not always women who've had kids but but oftentimes we've had kids where the small lips or the labia minora bypass and kind of hang beyond the labia majora or the larger lips, and um, there's the aesthetic component. Patients want them to look nicer, but also the fact that it can be uncomfortable. So, if riding a bike or during sex, having um, kind of redundant or long labia minora can can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, it's functional and aesthetic.
0: Well, for me, I didn't even know that was possible. But you know, you meet a lot of fun people when you're on naked beaches, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was constantly tucking up my labia minor because they were longer than the labia major, and I would tuck them in because uh, I just didn't like the aesthetics of it hanging down. It's only my preference. And so one of my girlfriends says, Oh, I had mine cut off. I go, What? You can do that? So she described the thing. I came back and I called Dr. Gaston and said, Hey, do you do labiaplasty? He says, Sure, come on in. <laughs> Never gone the next day.
1: Like three <laughs> days later. But what about the recovery? Oh, my God. Tough, tough. so painful. It's a really sensitive area. So
0: painful. And had I, you know, just because my girlfriend told me she did it, she did not tell me about the recovery at all. And I didn't ask. And I didn't even investigate. I just went for it. And I learned a lesson, like, boy, oh, boy, it was yeah. so oh, painful. She peed in the
1: bathtub for two weeks. And cried yeah.
0: while <laughs> oh, I was Oh, it's, it's, it's it can be really terrible. uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. You have to
2: be ready. And, I, you know, I warn my patients. Like, yeah. for, for labioplasty, tummy tucks, those are two or What's really What's that cream focus? that
0: stops the pain that you put on it? Uh, lidocaine? Yes. I had lidocaine cream, but I could not even put the lidocaine cream on. It, it hurts so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just yeah. not yeah, it's a fun more, situation. It's
2: more the pain medications you take by mouth.
0: Yeah, help. probably. I was probably not taking enough of those. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> Now that I think about it, it's still a long time ago, but I'm very but happy I it. But you look spectacular it. now. Well, everybody says, are you still happy that you did? It? I said, yes, yes, I'm happy yeah. I did it. Yeah. Well, it's Good. too late now anyways. <laughs> <We're just getting laughs> yeah. can't put them yeah. back. <laughs> they're done. <laughs> so you, so. Don't,
1: you, you don't have that many people coming in and asking for that?
2: Yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. Labioplasty? Yeah. It's a very common procedure. Wow. Very. Wow. And it's, it's like I said, the small lips, the labia minora, but also the clitoral hood. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. kind of connected. So mm-hmm. oftentimes you have to trim the clitoral hood as well. Um, the other thing that pe- that sometimes people are looking for is, um, particularly postmenopausal, are the labia majora, or the larger lips, become atrophic yeah. and almost like saggy. Yeah. So you can do things like plump them up with uh, fat injections, mm-hmm. um, and that mm-hmm. gives them a little bit more rejuvenation
0: mm-hmm. as well. Well, that's one of the things we learned that when you continue taking estrogen supplements, uh, that that doesn't happen as much, and Correct. so it's probably you know after menopause, like you said, that's just normal hormone reduction and it's causing that right right again it's a movement of the fat storage <laughs> the yeah. fat from down there is going to the boobs <laughs> yeah and,
2: and quality of the skin as well yeah right too. You, yes. you lose skin elasticity right. with the hormonal shifts yes. so. yeah exactly
0: yeah. that too but okay but, but yeah you know what we see a lot lately more than ever before butt jobs yeah Brazilian butt lift, that's what you call yours, right? Tell us about that. I don't know anything about that, and I have not had that. So (laughs) I'm not planning to, just so you know. So Brazilian
2: butt lift is basically lifting the buttocks and, and making them more round, and usually adding volumes and making them bigger with fat injection your oh, own fat fat injection so senti- I thought it was a, An implant. a silicone implant no the, oh. b- the Brazilian butt lift okay. is fat injection okay but you can do you can do but- buttock augmentation okay and have a similar effect with implants um, not here in Canada because the implants are not health Canada approved okay um, but they have a lot more complications oh, okay so the safest way to augment and to lift buttocks is with through a Brazilian butt lift but it has to be done properly because it is one of those operations that if it's not done well can lead to serious complications even death.
0: Because I have seen some dimpled butt lifts, and is that because the injections are not equally, uh, they, the, that could the be. fat is not equally distributed? It could be. It okay. could be technical, right? Okay.
2: Um, it could be that um, the patient was dimpled before. So oh, patients yeah. who have okay. a lot of cellulite on their buttocks, okay. even if you do the buttock, the, the buttock lift, will still have some. Um, or or too much was injected. But where do you get the fat from? Is it from the belly pouch? Like from everywhere. From so everywhere. so from everywhere. You you need uh, uh, even patients who want more of a subtle or moderate augmentation of the buttocks, you ha- you need a lot of fat. Wow. So it means that typically um, you're doing liposuction of the abdomen, the love handles, the bra rolls, the inner thighs, outer thighs and you collect um, it and, and then you, you, you inject you it. You collect it, it go- it passes through a filter, where we wash it with saline to yeah. kind of purify it and then you inject it. Oh, and then you inject strange. it. Sometimes patients come in and don't have enough body fat. Mm. And I'll say, well, you have to gain 15 pounds. Mm. Some will say, no way, yeah. and not have it done. Right. Um, and, others will, uh, and others will do it. Oh, you know. Interesting. And, and there's not much in terms of options. There is soon to come here um, a filler. It's uh, called a hyaluronic acid. It's the most common filler that we use now in lips and face everywhere. Mm. Um, there's a company that's, that's launching their product here in, in Canada, wh- which is larger volumes Okay. Right, meant for buttock augmentation. Not big ones like uh-huh. Kim Kardashian, but patients who just want kind of a mild plumping of the buttocks.
0: So that look of Kim Kardashian, is that fat transposed?
2: That's fat. Oh, That's fat. You know, um, so uh, th- that is not what I do, for sure. Okay. Um, I think that um, if you're, injecting that much fat um, you're just creating so much damage that down the line uh-huh. no patient's going to be happy.
0: Uh-huh. And how does the fat like you've pulled it out of one area how does it actually become viable and make blood supply back again in this new place? How right that's the that? trick yeah. is
2: that vet blood vessels have to grow from surrounding right. tissues in and around those new fat cells yeah. so not all the fat survives oh. so probably about 20 to 30 percent of the fat that we inject Melts. Okay. You know, it doesn't survive, and the fat cells just melt away. Um, you can get and lumps and bumps. Yeah, you can get lumps and bumps. Something called fat necrosis. You can right. get cysts. Less common with uh, buttock augmentation, and more common, much more common in when you're filling breasts, for example, mm. which which I don't agree with doing necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you can you can end up with complications. Um, the result that you see on the table that amount of roundness yeah. never stays you, you typically lose about 30% because uh, that fat yeah. melts away yeah. partially. Wow.
0: So. so it's your eye that's distributing it where you think it should be like to give it the best result mm-hmm. Right. Is there a standard in that too? Is there like a there template? There is. Yep. Yeah, there
2: is a standard you're injecting um, People think that you're injecting more in the top part of the, b- of the buttock to yeah. get that, like, you know, the lower back coming in, the buttock coming out. Right. But a lot of it has to be in the lower and lateral portions of the buttock to create that lift, that lift. Uh-huh. and mm-hmm. the hourglass figure with, you know, injecting the side of the buttocks. Well, well,
0: doing the liposuction in the first place and taking off the love handles obviously gives that a little bit more of an hourglass, gra- and then you yeah. augment below. So right, it's you're
2: sculpting the waist yeah. and the lower back yeah. and, and then injecting into the buttocks. It yeah. has that, that effect.
0: Interesting. Yeah
1: let's talk a few minutes about the non-invasive stuff that you do botox um fillers stuff like that what are do's and don'ts that people need to know about that
2: well do go to a place that is uh reputable you know that we're, where there's a good um, surgeon or dermatologist or special any specialist that has a lot of experience in a legitimate clinic whether it's done by that specialist or or another one like a nurse under their their um under the same roof um, you know, just make sure that those inject, the whoever's injecting has a lot of experience and you see pre and post injections and ideally somebody who's been to them that you trust. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth is important. Mm-hmm. Um, do's and don'ts, don't start too early, mm-hmm. you know, the I concept of say. prevention. I'm a big fan of prevention, yeah. but starting too early, I think, is a slippery slope. And then make sure, you know, t- t- you know to know when, when enough is enough. Um, and
0: like, not get those lips that are too, too big that don't look natural anymore.
2: Yeah, because you know you can say, well, don't worry, my provider is going to tell me, the injector is going to tell me when you know when it's too much, but you can't, you can't simply trust that, mm. because a lot of a lot of providers will also lose sight perspective. Mm. They have the same patient coming in every six months, and just like the patient can lose perspective of how big their lips are, so could yeah. uh, so could the injector. <laughs> so just be very aware of of when to say no. Enough is enough. Cool,
0: and to keep it looking natural basically right yes. that's my yeah. point yeah.
2: is that you don't want people to look at you and say oh that person has been injected mm-hmm. you want people to look at you and say well she looks great mm-hmm. she looks refreshed or mm-hmm. she's got great full lips Right, but not that uh, they've been injected right cool well
1: we're slowly getting to the end of the show and we cannot complete this show without letting you talk a little bit about what you do for the cancer patients that come to see you and you help them bring their bodies and breasts back to life
2: so I do, I uh, I still do breast cancer reconstruction uh, for patients who are who have either gone a partial mastectomy where part of the breast is removed or even more commonly where the whole, whole breast is removed. Um, and I work with um, surgeons at the Ville-Marie Breast Center who, who are a private, like the only private breast center here in Quebec, um, oncologic. So they do the mastectomies, they do the cancer treatments um, out of there. Um, and I'll do often do the breast reconstruction. So I will see them after, so I'll see the patients here at the clinic after they have their cancer diagnosis and their breast cancer surgeon has said, okay, well, you need a, a mastectomy or on one side or, or both. Um, and the decisions are, you know, are, your, are uh, is that surgeon removing the nipple or can we keep the nipple? Mm-hmm. And if we keep the nipple, then what kind of reconstruction are we doing? Are we using an implant to, make, to create the breast or are we using the patient's own tissues, mm-hmm. which can sometimes look and feel a little bit more natural, um, but it's a lot more invasive because you have to cut somewhere else in the body and get that tissue from elsewhere. Um, So much, much more common is the implant.
0: And how common is it for them to be able to keep the nipple?
2: more common now than, than try before the before yeah. the, the thinking was you have to remove the nipple because there's an increased risk of getting cancer at the nipple okay. um, but now we know it's not true oh, um good. and so it makes a big difference because essentially you know the mastectomy surgeon is removing all the inside all the gland and leaving that entire skin envelope mm-hmm. so it makes it much more simple to be able to put an implant there because that whole skin envelope is available over the implant. Right. Um, right. It's not as easy as that. You're not know, just putting in an implant and closing things up yeah. Um, yeah because the skin is super thin sometimes. yeah So you have to do things to camouflage that implant yeah. and to hold it in place.
0: And of course, on the beach, we see a lot of those reconstructions. We see mastectomies that have not been reconstructed. We see some nipples that, tattooed on. Yes. Yep. Some with nipples tattooed Correct. on. But one particular friend, um, sh- they were able to save the nipple when they did her mastectomy. And then years later, her nipple was, I'm, I don't know it, inverted a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she saw one doctor who convinced her that she could put a filler in behind it to push the nipple out. Mm-hmm. And she ended up losing her nipple after saving yep. it all those years. Yep. Yeah, so it can
2: happen. I mean, too much, too much pressure on the nipple if you're injecting something behind it, particularly a patient who's had a mastectomy, it's, it's, it can be risky.
0: I think her original doctor would not do it and then she went somewhere else and they did it and right. she lost her and, and how soon it. after yeah, the oncologist
1: sad. does his work do you do the cosmetic work
2: you can do it immediately so oh. at the same time Mo- most of the time oh. it's, in the, it's it's at the same time in the operating room so mm. the surgeon will do the mastectomies and then I'll come in with the filler and, uh, and do with the the implant yeah exactly do the reconstruction with the implants wow. very cool wow, so the woman good. comes out of surgery with breasts correct yeah. wow that's a correct. lot
0: better because otherwise you have to put that balloon in and stretch the skin and stuff is that what I've seen well, on that, TV
2: that's, that happens if they have to remove a lot of the skin and the nipple, and there's not enough skin to be able to accommodate, oh the right, right, yeah. Um, or patients who have who has had mastectomies and years later is having reconstruction, okay. you have to put in a tissue expander to stretch right. that skin. In and first. how long
0: does that take, for example?
2: Uh, to to the actual surgery to mm-hmm. put in the tissue expander is yeah, probably Forty five minutes.
0: No, I meant for how long do you have to have the expander in before you uh, can do the surgery? Four or five months. Oh, months. Four or five
2: months because oh. you you uh, every week you come in for for uh, to fill the expander a little bit. And then once you're done filling, you have to wait three months. Mm. So typically it means you you have that expander in place. And does it
0: months. stays inside, so it stays in there stays until in there. you do the surgery. Precisely. Okay, yep. okay, cool. Oh. Wow.
2: Very
1: cool. Well, lots of different things we learned today yes. about how to um, – Keep our bodies young. How to um, enhance our sex life a little bit?
0: Well, and our confidence. I think, confidence, we, like you yeah. said, having a look whether you're having your nose fixed, whether you're having your cheeks filled, whether you're having your breast done. There's we, options. If we feel comfortable or or more confident, and you can and you can afford it and it's uh, safe, then why not? Why can't? Why not? Why that's, not do that's, it? That's the way you live your life. I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for everyone out there who are happy with their bodies good for you (laughs) enjoy it work out go eat properly and um you know i guess it's a little bit like uh, you can choose to do it you could choose not to do it um do what's good for you last uh yeah i guess yes
0: we are at the end of our show we usually like to leave with a little bit of advice from the doctor so what would you say would be the top two things that you should consider before opting for surgery
2: Uh, I would say a healthy lifestyle and exercise, diet and exercise. You know, a healthy diet, um, if you don't know what that means, go see a Mm dietician. Exercise, if you don't know how to do it, see a trainer to at least set you up with a program. Um, Do everything you can first before you opt to to go under the knife uh, because it's not not as simple as having the procedure and then immediately having your result. There's a recovery involved and there are complications. Mm -hmm. So everything you can do before surgery to be as happy as possible and perhaps avoid a surgery, mm-hmm. uh, do that.
0: Well, we met a lady at a party only a couple of weeks ago and yes. she, had, she had heard on our podcast that I mentioned that I had had a tummy tuck. And so she contacted me through the website and uh, she wants to know who did my tummy tuck. So I suggested she call you and she called your office and she saw you at your other clinic on the South Shore. She went there, got the full information and she decided not to have a tummy tuck. She was okay. going to live with it. So Good. it's Good not everybody wants to do all of that. It is a big procedure. I get it's the information. An, yeah. It's an important decision to make. You got to live with that for the rest of your life. There's scar. There's all sorts of things. Right. right. And so, yeah. So before opting for the surgery, eat well, try to diet and exercise and, and get rid of that tummy pouch on your own first and maybe 10 years from now, she might change her mind. But for now, she wants to give it a try on her own. And what
2: about talking to someone who's had
0: it done? Yeah.
2: Yeah, word of mouth is number one. Really, if you look at um, where most of my patients come from, it's mostly word of mouth. Um, some of it's social media word of mouth, mm-hmm. uh, but but um, largely it's word of mouth. So it's because patients really, once they hear a patient have a particular experience, mm-hmm. With a particular surgeon, mm-hmm. they'll then feel like they can trust, or at least it'll push them to go see that person because they, yeah. they, they've heard it from somebody else that they mm-hmm. trust.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, ask the questions, especially about recovery, like I didn't with the levioplasty. <laughs> <laughs> However, yeah. important questions. So yeah, and I always I always tell people, if, if people ask me, would I recommend having a tummy tuck? I always say, I don't recommend anything. It's your yeah. own decision. I never push it or say, is the greatest thing that ever happened to me? But find out get the information yeah and
2: risks and complications also right so the bad stuff as
0: well
1: yeah Yeah. Yeah. cool very cool wow Dr. Carl Schwartz, thank you so much for sharing all that amazing information why don't you take a second and tell everyone how they can reach out to you your website social media
2: all all of those things Uh, you, you know You're assuming that I know uh, the name of my website exactly, but it's Clinica is the name of my clinic. uh, Or you just search under my name, quite frankly, you'll find it quite easily. And of
0: course, if you can't find it anywhere, you just have to go to our website where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information there. And you can even contact them directly from our website.
1: And our website is thesexylifestyle.com. That's right. Right. And we're learning more and more every week from all our great guests. We hope you do, too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at Carolandavid.com. All righty. The end of another great show with with an amazing guest, Dr. Carl Schwartz. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you guys for having me. And as we do each week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out.
0: So join us again next time for another hour of the Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny.
1: Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe, and of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time.